This the remix. Last night was fine. This morning was a totally different story. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready. I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. A woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs. And I think a lot of times when you get that aesthetic of like I'm a this, I'm a dad, no, baby, but you can't cook. Okay. You yeah. don't know. You don't know when to be quiet. You mm -hmm. don't know how to allow a man to lead. Doesn't matter what I say, Mike. You're gonna write every time. No, so it doesn't matter what you say. No. Nope. Well, you're all right. You're limping around. You didn't. You weren't with Millard on a tandem bike or somewhere. <laughs> Crush my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Dude, shout out to a simpler time in America when all of us were captivated by the California raisins. Okay, who who was limping around and got called out by Pete DeBoer yesterday? Uh, Gary Lawless came into the media oh. room and felt bad for him. Obviously, something had happened because he was limping and don't know what it was. But uh, then I uh, had Pete one-on-one -on -one for an interview and Gary limped by us and then Pete... Went after him to see what had happened. I didn't hear it, but um, he was limping noticeably. So, okay. Let me let me run this down real quick. This is all I can remember off the top of my head. At one point during this season, uh, David Shane of the Review Journal was on crutches going to Golden Knights practices. Yes. Um, Willie Ramirez, Cofield and Company, uh, he suffered an injury at T-Mobile Arena while covering a game. Yes, he will have to get um, it... Uh, taken care of here soon on the uh, knee injury you're now telling me gary lawless yes. is limping around and then for anybody that didn't see darren millard who comes on our show was apparently in a bicycle accident um and is expected to be okay but uh darren millard had apparently a pretty serious accident but that is uh like the the media is almost as beat up as the <laughs> actual it's team just, is. it's it's crazy <laughs> when dave shane came in uh on crutches, sadly, I, I, I uh, forget exactly what Dave had. Um, I think it was a knee or foot. Um, I think DeBoer said something. I was there that day, and DeBoer said, okay, all bets are off. I mean, now we got the media. <laughs> yeah, now the media now, is going down. Now the media is going down. He goes, I don't know what to say anymore. Uh, the, 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 the media is headed downhill now. So, yeah. Um, and I, then Willie did it a game. He's going to get that fixed. And then I have no idea what happened to Gary. The... The best part about that was everyone in the room making, like, rushing to make the same lower body <laughs> joke about Gary Lawless. But then DeBoer comes off the top rope with the tandem bicycle yes. that's like, uh, dude, <laughs> too soon. All right. So Pete DeBoer yesterday when he talked. Now it's time to take a Pete DeBoer quote out of context. He Press said, box transition. <laughs> I will say we're not going to make or miss the playoffs in the next five days. I think however it goes, we have to make sure that we manage the fact that I think this is going to come down to the last couple games of the season. 
Does Pete DeBoer need more urgency, or is he fine to say, no. hey, we're not going to make or miss the playoffs in the next five years? I think he's fine because I think it's factual. I think it's factual. I think everyone assumes that it's going to come down to the last week, maybe the last few days, so I don't think he wants to put it out there because if he puts it out there, it's like, oh, we're going to make or miss. What if they do lose all three in Canada? Then it's like, okay, Pete, you said it's over. What do you have to play for? Why are you playing for anything now? If they lose all three in Canada, the season is over. What if it's the done. Kings lose their next three? It's it's over. If they what lose if the all Kings lose Canada, their next three? Okay, so here's <laughs> here's the key. Here's the here here's the important part right now. The Golden Knights and Kings are both going to play three games over the next five days. The LA Kings schedule to close out the year is incredibly yes easy. Yeah, we said that yesterday. It's very easy, very easy. These next three. This is the hardest three game stretch for the Kings over the next five days. They play Chicago, who's not any good. But they Colorado. play Colorado, and they play Columbus. Right. The uh, Columbus is not in a playoff spot, but they're kind of they're they're borderline. one of the first or first teams out. They're not right. going to make it, right. but they're they're borderline. And the sad part for the Golden Knights is Columbus is like one of the best teams that LA plays. The only team, so Colorado is the best team. Columbus is the third best team by points that LA plays the rest of the year. The second best team is Vancouver. The problem is that's the last game of the year for LA. And Vancouver's probably going to be out of playoff contention for the last game of the year. So sure, Vancouver has a good record, but they're not going to be playing for anything. So most likely, the LA Kings' hardest and second hardest games of the rest of the season are in this next three-game stretch. If the Golden Knights do not make up points on the Kings in the next five days, they're done and they're not making the playoffs. I don't know if I believe that if the Kings lose the next three because it's the Kings. They lost Dowdy yesterday for the season. Um, it's the Kings. I don't think the Kings are any good. I don't so either. If they but lose, they could lose the, the ba- they could lose the bad teams. Like they could like Anaheim, um, the Kraken who beat them like six one earlier this year. I mean, they could lose the bad teams. You're you, it favors what you're saying. If it was anyone else other than the Kings, I would totally agree. But because <laughs> it's the Kings, I'm like, eh, they could go on a losing streak too. I don't think they're any good. I think the Knights are better than the Kings. Now again, that doesn't mean much if the Knights you know, lose out or lose five of the next six, that's not going to mean much that they're better than the Kings. But if it's anyone other than the Kings, I'd say I totally agree, but I'm not sold on them. Like, if you told me, okay, the Kings are going to lose five straight, I'd be like, all right. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked at it at all. I hear you, but I just, the Golden Knights schedule is so much much more difficult than the Kings that I think if they don't make up ground right now, these next five days, if they don't make up ground on the LA Kings, I do not think they're going to the playoffs because this is the opportunity to do it. This is the opportunity for the Golden Knights to catch the LA Kings. Right now, they're two points back. LA's played one more game. At the end of this next five days, both they'll still be uh, LA will still have played one more game than Vegas. But if the Golden Knights are not at least tied with the Kings after these next three games, I do not believe they are making mm-hmm. the playoffs. I think they have to do it right now. Because here's the thing. If if we're talking about the Golden Knights still having still having a two-point margin, and now there's all of a sudden six games left in the season, how, how are they making that up? Because the Kings, yes, they can lose to bad teams. They're not losing all of them. And the Golden Knights aren't winning all of them either. Like, that's not going to happen here. So I just, for me, the this next three games are the three most important games left on the schedule. And oh, yes, I'm not going to discount that. Absolutely, yes, they they're definitely be, the most three important, important games left on the schedule. There's no question about that. They will not be that. mathematically eliminated from the postseason, 
absolutely. They can lose all three and they won't be mathematically eliminated. But if they lose all three of these, even if LA loses all three, and saying in regulation, and you can, I guess you could lose all three in overtime and it'd be a, you might be okay with that. But if they walk away with zero points and LA walks away with zero points, I, I think they're done. And if they walk away with zero points and LA gets two, they're definitely done. They're, if the Kings get one of these next couple of games and the Golden Knights get zero, it, the season's over. They're not going to the postseason. And like, like, I think Pete, I think they need as much urgency as possible. Like this is a you you should be looking at it like we we need to win nine in a row because that's the only way they guarantee they're in the postseason. They should be looking at it saying we need to win nine in a row. Don't do don't give me this whole take one game at a time. He said that. Yeah, he did. Too. He said it yesterday. He's not game at a time. He said night he by said, night. He said night Don't by give night. me that. He said night Don't by give night. me that. You got to win all nine. Go win all nine of it and get in the playoffs. That's how you do it. He says they're probably not going to run the table. You have to handle the highs and lows of what's going to come at us here in the next three weeks the right way. Is it three weeks? I guess they do have three weeks left. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. That don't don't like just run the lot, table. Lot. It just, seems like it was more. Just, just run, run the nine table, in a Pete. row. Yes. Just run the table. <laughs> And it's fine. Everything's good to go. Their money puck odds have them at 43% to make the playoffs right now. What are they, uh, the Kings, like 70? 76% okay. at the moment. The So here's the projected final points for the Kings and the Golden Knights. The Kings' projected final points is 96.5, and the Golden Knights is 94.2. So you're talking about 2.3 points difference between the Kings and the Golden Knights to finish the season. And... That's why these next three are important, because if they don't make up ground, that's going to be even worse. The Golden Knights points are going to drop and the Kings points are going to stay where they are, if not go higher. I want the Kings to lose out. That'd be hilarious. That would be kind of fun with the with that schedule that they have. If they if they choke it away by losing, well, out, they'll yeah. be favored in every game except uh, I think it's back to back. Right. I think they play Colorado. I think they play Colorado tomorrow. Is it back to back? I thought they yes, had a day it off. Is. It, is it is back to back. It's back to back. I'm looking at it right now. It's back to back. Yeah, they'll get they'll get beat by the Avalanche. The Avalanche playing for anything? They'll still lose. No, they're at 110 points. 102. <laughs> well, yeah, Florida's at 108. I guess they're playing for something. Okay, playing for home or home ice home advantage ice. throughout yeah. the entirety of the yeah, postseason. Throughout the entirety okay. of the postseason. Got to get the President's Trophy. That's what they're playing for there. Got to hang a banner. Um, you know what also is uh, impressive? The Golden Knights goal differential this year is plus 18. The LA Kings are minus two. Man. <laughs> what does that tell you with all the injuries the Golden Knights had? That tells you that the Kings suck. They do. I 100% agree the Kings suck. I do not believe the Golden Knights are good enough to catch them over the last six if they're more than two points back. I don't think they can do it. It's over with. It's over with. This is this is it, Ed. I will. What, what do we got? Hot take. Uh, It'll be next Monday. Next Monday, I, I will tell you. If they lose sure. all three. I'll, I'll tell you either way. No matter what happens, right. next Monday, it will have been decided where, whether or not the Golden Knights are going to the postseason. That's it. So when we come back on Monday after this five-day or five day road trip, we will know if the Golden Knights are going to the playoffs. And if they're, two, game, if they're two points ahead of the Kings with the tiebreaker, you're going to say that they're going to make the playoffs. Absolutely. If they if they pass them in these the next five breaker, days, yes. they're they're going to the postseason. Oh, the tiebreaker think, could change over the next yeah. nine games. It probably won't. Probably won't, but, but it could. If they pass them, they're for sure going. If they win three, if they win three in a row, and the Kings win one of these next three, Golden Knights are going to the postseason. And I will tell you that on Monday. I think even if they just tie them, I'm going to sit here. I'll sit here and tell you the Golden Knights are going. 
But if they're two points back, uh-uh, they're out. They're done. These next five days is what's important. I, there, there's nothing. There's nothing. Give me some urgency, Pete DeBoer. Get, you control your own destiny. Don't give me this. We can't win out. Don't give me this night by night or in the next five days aren't going to determine the season. Yes, it is. That's what's important. It cannot come back to you. That's what's fun. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. NBA Draft. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm afraid we need to use math. Bischoff's Briefs. I knew I should have checked your showboating globetrotter algebra. Bischoff's Briefs. Man, I thought you knew that algebra was all razzmatazz. Bischoff's Briefs. Yes, I see. Something involving that many big words could easily destabilize time itself. Today's Bischoff's Briefs is taking a look at the Raiders' offensive line. Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus put out a tweet, and it's based on Pro Football Focus grades, but it is the likelihood that a running play will be perfectly blocked by each team's <laughs> offensive line. I'm looking at the list. Um, the Baltimore Ravens were number one. They are the offensive line that is most likely to perfectly block a run play. Coming in and dead last, your Las Vegas Raiders, the least likely offensive line to perfectly block a run play is the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, one thing I do find interesting is the actual percentages associated with this. The Ravens, only at 45%. So what that means is the majority of the time that any team in the league runs the ball, it is not going to be a perfectly blocked run play. Uh, for the Raiders, their percentage was at 27.6%. So we're talking almost three-fourths of the time, the expectation is the Raiders will not have a perfectly blocked running play this season. Uh, if you look at some of their players, and just going by their pro football focus run blocking grades, not their total grades. Uh, here's what you have. Last year, Brandon Parker ranked 69th. Alex Leatherwood ranked 51st, which, by the way, he ranks like in the 80s. Usually. Kind of a surprise. So he's better as a run blocker than he is as a pass blocker, which is what he was coming out of college as well. Andre James, the center, was 27th out of 39 centers. Uh, Denzel Good did not have enough snaps to qualify but he would have been outside the top 50 if he had. And then Colton Miller at 14th among tackles. Miller is a better pass blocker than run blocker, but obviously 14 is still good in terms of his run blocking ability there. So that's sort of just running through your projected starting offensive linemen right now and how good they are of run blockers. There's really only one good run blocker, and it's Colton Miller, and he, that's not even what he's best at. He's better as a pass blocker. I so, think you could have left it at there's really only one good lineman. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So... There's a couple ways to look at this. First off, it's April 11th, and the Raiders have made no moves to improve the offensive line. And we know it was bad last year. And as many big moves they've made, they've done zero for that offensive line. That's not a good thing. It's April, uh, or it's April 12th, excuse me. Um, there could be more moves. There are still some offensive linemen. If you go by Pro Football Focus Top 100 free agents, there are still three tackles and one guard available. So maybe the Raiders signed one, right? And I, at this point, 
one good signing or trade or acquisition for that offensive line would go a long way to helping it. In reality, I still think they probably need two, but at least one would go a long way in helping that. So maybe there's a trade at some point. Maybe a good offensive lineman gets cut, right? When rosters get cut down, Raiders scoop him up, right? There is some hope there. Now, that's putting a lot of faith in an unknown transaction, right? Like, they might not make a move. They might not add another offensive lineman. This might be the group. And we're just sort of assuming that, eh, there's some free agents. There could be a trade. Like, we're assuming something could happen to make it better, but it might not. The other way to be optimistic, though, and this this is more where I sort of fall in. The other way to be optimistic is to believe that Josh McDaniels and his staff can develop the offensive line better. And whether that's through actual player development where these players are better or whether it's simply through having a different scheme, a better scheme, right? Maybe there's a way they can scheme or develop these guys into competency. The one issue with that is it's hard to see this offensive line being 15th best in the league, right? Like it's, it's the improvement is going to be okay. Instead of being the 30th best offensive line, you're now the 21st best offensive line, which Maybe that's enough, but that maybe that's not enough because that's still a bad offensive line. So at the moment, um, you look at this team and there's not a whole lot of optimism, right, for why the offensive line would be very good. And you know who it really sucks for? Obviously, it's going to suck for Derek Carr and his tiny hands, but Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. Like... It sounds great to have a healthy Josh Jacobs, but if he's running behind the worst run-blocking offensive line in the NFL, you might as well never run the ball. I mean, it's no it's no wonder Josh Jacobs can't stay healthy. He's going to be behind the worst offensive line in the league. So you, you feel bad for Josh Jacobs, and especially this is, this is, I think, another consideration for the Raiders that they've got to try to be predictive with some of their offseason moves. They can give Josh Jacobs the fifth-year option. They can pick up the fifth-year option so that they have Jacobs for this year and next season. But if you know you're going to have a bad run-blocking offensive line and you go into next season and you're not expecting Josh Jacobs to have a good year, you probably shouldn't pick up that option because Josh Jacobs is not going to be that expensive if he has a bad year this season, right? You could either re-sign him or you could just let him go and bring in somebody else. So there's a predictive nature to the offensive line that leads you to Josh Jacobs and could be bad news for Josh Jacobs. Seems like an admittance of failure. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it would be to some degree now. Here's the other part of this, though. This is this is where I am probably the most optimistic about the Raiders, despite their bad offensive line. The roster might be good enough in other places to overcome it. You are you're not going to have a perfect roster in the NFL. You're going to have a weak spot, and the goal or the idea is to hide your weak spot or just simply overcome it. And we had a really good example last year. The Cincinnati Bengals, terrible offensive line. They went to the Super Bowl, right? It's possible. Joe Burrow had a great season. Joe Burrow was very good. Jamar Chase was an awesome wide receiver. And the Bengals' defense was solid. wasn't even a, a great defense by any means, but it was a good defense last year. The Raiders have Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. I don't think it's that crazy to think Derek Carr and Devontae Adams can be similar to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I don't think that's the most absurd uh, projection for next season. And the defense, while I still don't expect it to be, I don't think we're talking about, oh, the eighth best defense in football. 
I think it's not hard to envision. Yeah, they're the 16th, 17th best defense, and the offense is really good. So that's enough to be contenders. I think that is plausible for the Raiders. I don't know if it's likely, but I think that is a plausible outcome to chase where have the quarterback, have the receiver, have the burrs, have multiple options there that, yeah, the offensive line isn't very good. Yeah, there's going to be games where Derek Carr gets sacked five or six, six times. times. There's going to be games where Josh Jacobs has absolutely nowhere to run, has 17 carries for 31 yards. But if this receiving core and if Derek Carr are good enough and put some on the coaching too, scheming it all, you can overcome that. I would put one asterisk on Cincinnati as the example. A lot went right for the Cincinnati Bengals last year that had nothing to do with them. The Ravens had a, the most man games lost maybe in NFL history due to injury, and that barely knocked the Ravens out of the AFC right. North title, right. right? It's like the Bengals didn't run away with that. The bang, or the Ravens were still in it with three weeks to go. So like the Raiders looking around, similar situation where there's good teams in the division, and even if things go right for the Raiders, they still might not win the division. You need some things to go wrong for other teams. And then also, when you look at the actual run to the Super Bowl, the Bengals got to play the Raiders and the Titans in their first two games of the postseason. That's about as easy of a first two games as you could have on a run to a Super Bowl. So there was a fortunate path. They got to play the Titans while the Bills and Chiefs were scoring on each other nonstop on the other side. If they had to go through the Bills and the Chiefs last year, they probably don't get to the Super Bowl. And despite all that, despite how good Burrow was, despite how good Jamar Chase was, despite the Ravens injuries, despite the easy path, they still didn't even win the Super Bowl. They got there. Great season, right? It's not like it was a failure, but they still didn't accomplish the ultimate goal of winning the Super Bowl. So the Bengals is a good example to sort of look at and say, okay, you can you can possibly do the same thing if your offensive line isn't any good. But a lot of things went their way, and they still didn't win yeah. the Super Bowl. So it's it becomes a harder path to look at and say, yeah, we'll just do what that team did and hope everybody on the Chiefs blows their Achilles in training camp like the Ravens did. Yeah, and I think I think of all that you said, the basic thing is that they need to add some people. Because you, like you said, Carr and Adams might be able to re, uh, recreate that, what the Bengals did, but it, it, you know, it also might be asking a lot. Right. Um, so I, they, they just need to get better. They need. I'm surprised that many decent players are left on the board for offensive line. I don't know the names, um, but if you're saying a few guards and a few tackles that were ranked high by PFF, I'm surprised they're still out there. I don't know what they want money-wise, but it's April, and guys are reporting for conditioning practices, and the guys like that are still on the board. Yeah, you've got three tackles and one guard. Yeah, that's surprising, especially the tackles. Yeah, top 100. So I, I, I'm wondering how many NFL teams are looking around saying, you know what, uh, yeah, you're a solid tackle or you're a solid guard. We might draft somebody that might start there, and if we don't draft them, we'll we'll circle back and come back to you and, and see if we want to sign you. It's like Riley Reef of Cincinnati is one of them. Daryl Williams of Buffalo's one. Eric Fisher from the uh, Colts is another one. So it's not like dominant offensive off, uh, offensive linemen that are going to make a huge right, difference. Right. But, but for the I mean for, for the, the Raiders, Raiders, it probably would make a right. huge difference because it means Brandon Parker's not starting or Alex Leatherwood's not starting. Guys that we have seen be bad offensive linemen in the NFL. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. 
This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? Uh, Good. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm very good today. Um, All right. Important question for you. Mark Stone, does he play tonight? Yes or no? I mean, I think he does. Um, Time will tell, I suppose, but... Uh, I don't know about you, but like I don't want Mark Stone's first game back against the Calgary Flames, a team that is <laughs> really hard-nosed and, and plays uh, a rougher style. So I'd like him to get at least one game under his belt uh, before going into an absolute uh, banger of a game against Calgary. I know you don't know his actual health situation. How if Is he 100%? Is he 90%? Whatever. But like general expectations for him like how are we getting are we getting mark stone back on the ice or are we getting a lesser version of that who knows um unfortunately we we really just don't have the answer now we can look to earlier on in the year right when mark stone went out game two and then he came back into the lineup uh was he 100 percent then probably not but he rattled off that nearly a point a game clip uh, from that point forward until he had to be shut down. So I think that Mark Stone's best attribute as a hockey player is how he thinks the game, his ability to anticipate plays. Um, as long as his brain is is where it needs to be and he's processing information where uh, at, at a high level, um, he can make plays even if he's not 100%. Uh, do I think he's going to be a point-of-game guy? Probably not. Uh, but do I think that will help this club um, – defensively and and in the offensive zone? Yeah, absolutely. What would you do with the lines right now, not knowing his health? Where would you put him? I would I would keep him with Chandler Stevenson and Max Pacioretty, and if that's your third line, I think you could do a lot worse. <laughs> uh, who do you... Okay, who do you expect to be the best line on this team tonight or, or just the last nine games? Because we've got a... It's, it's a little bit of a weird breakdown, but almost healthy here, where Dodonov and Eichel are playing with Wall. Carlson and Marshall together, but it's Michael Amadio, and then maybe seventy-five percent Stone and Pacioretty are back with Stevenson. Like, what? Which line is the best for the Golden Knights? I, you know, that's really hard to to say because um, I think the best complete line probably for Vegas would end up being Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson, and Mark Stone. Like we've seen that line dominate, and if they are. I don't want to say in a limited capacity, but if they're playing down the lineup, then they're going to be seeing different competition and they'll probably have a little bit easier or more favorable matchup. So I think that'll probably be the line that propels this team just like it would be any other time. Now, the interesting thing for me is what do you do with Matthias Yanmark and where does he play? Because I know you've got Nick Waugh up on the top line with Jack Eichel and, uh, and, and, Evgeny Dodonov, but that doesn't feel like it works enough for me outside of Jack Eichel just kind of taking over uh, control of every shift that he's on the ice. Um, do you put Matisse on that wing with Eichel and, and push Wah down to your fourth line as your fourth line center? I think maybe for depth you do that, but um, right now I think if the lines are, are as is, if they stay where they're at, I, I still think that the, the built-in chemistry you have with Patch, Reddy, Stevenson, and Stone will end up being this team's best, most productive, most complete line. All right, we had this debate earlier. If they come back from Canada and they have not caught the Kings, even if they're only two back with a tiebreaker, is it over? Uh, no, I, I don't think so, because L.A. is dealing with their own 
onset of major injuries, and it was reported yesterday that Drew Doughty is out for the remainder of the season, not just the regular season, but the playoffs should the Kings get there. Um, the Kings are making a lot of defensive mistakes in their own zone, and it is leading to uh, right now a three-game losing streak. So um, when you're relying on a inexperienced players down the stretch in a playoff race, I think it can become a little bit more troublesome, a little bit more worrisome, especially when those players that are inexperienced and in the lineup are defensemen. So without Drew Doughty, I think that this race is absolutely wide open and it it couldn't unfortunately happen at a worse time for the LA Kings, but fortunately happen at a better time for the Vegas Golden Knights. All right. So after this five day road trip in Canada, Golden Knights will come back, and the Kings will have also played three games in that time span, and these will be the remaining games for the Kings. Tell me when they lose. Anaheim, (laughs) Chicago, Anaheim, Seattle, Vancouver. I mean, in theory, they should win all of those. Maybe maybe Vancouver uh, is a tough one, but the rest of those games are all winnable games. The the Kings, it's, it's fascinating. They only have one playoff team in their remaining games, and that's Colorado. That's it. That's all they've got. So, um, I mean, the schedule certainly sets up better for Los Angeles, but again, when you're, at, when you're without Drew Doughty, when you're without your best defenseman, um, we've seen what, what missing a few pieces on the back end can do when it comes to just inconsistency of play. So what the, what the Kings are going to have to do, they're going to have to rely on Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick to be great and while they were at the beginning of the year, they've been mediocre at best the rest of the way. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but the schedule sets up much better for Los Angeles. That's true. What should hot take here? Because we'll just say they get in. What should fans at least be watching in the Edmonton game this week? If that's the first round series, like what, what about that team would worry you? And what should you look for this week? Just to say, Hey, that might be a preview of things to come. Well, the, the golden Knights have done a really good job historically shutting down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So uh, that's kind of the first thing that you look at. You have to have confidence in your ability to shut that that, that duo down. Um, beyond Dreisaitl and McDavid, nothing scares me about the Edmonton Oilers. Literally nothing. Their goaltending <laughs> doesn't scare me. Their defense doesn't scare me. I mean, when you're trotting out the ghost of, of Duncan Keith and Cody Ceci, like, I'm sorry, that's not – troublesome it's not worrisome um it's it's Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl if those two go off over seven games in a playoff series then good night but they haven't been able to do that uh, historically and the golden knights have done a really good job shutting them down so there's not anything beyond Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl that scares me about the edmonton oilers okay hold on if we get a first round series between vegas and edmonton who is the more disappointing team to lose? The Golden Knights, Stanley Cup contenders, but beaten up, kind of getting healthy before the playoffs, or the Edmonton Oilers with the best player on the planet and Leon Dreisaitl failing in the playoffs again? Well, it's that one for sure. And, and it's that one because the Golden Knights have kind of proof of concept of an ability to go deeper than the first round in the playoffs. And I don't think, like, I understand that there are, certain factions of people that believe the Golden Knights, even with the injuries, should just be a shoe-in for the playoffs. I don't necessarily believe that. I think if they get in, like it's pretty massive, considering what's been out of their lineup for as long as it's been out of their lineup this year. Um, so I think the Golden Knights, 
Like, you get in. If it doesn't work out in the first round, if it doesn't gel, okay, it is what it is. It's been a crazy year. You, you did well just to get there. But that's kind of where you're at right now, I think, if you're, if you're evaluating the Golden Knights. If you're the Edmonton Oilers, you went through a coaching change. You went through terrible stretches. Now, all of a sudden, you're hot going into the playoffs. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are scoring at the pace that they were scoring at when the Oilers were winning games at the beginning of the year. If you flame out in the first round, it is kind of calling into question what everyone else has been saying. It's probably because their goaltending isn't good enough. It's probably because their team is built in a very strange way. And it's probably because the rest of the team outside of those two players isn't very good, and they get absolutely dominated in every facet of the game when 97 and 29 are on the ice. Jared just said, Jesus. No, I, I literally <laughs> said, Jesus, they're the angels. They are. They have two really good players, and they suck. Yes, they are the angels. If That's a very good example there. Um, how many goals would Connor McDavid have to score in a seven-game series that the Oilers lost for the Canadian media to not blame him at all? Well, it doesn't matter how many he scores because if he's a, a dash at the end of the series, then he doesn't play enough defense, right? So, um, <laughs> like, every, like even if, if Connor McDavid scores 14 goals, and there's a dash two at the end of the season, of the series, then Connor McDavid needs to change the way that he plays because it's not going to win in the playoffs. Um, there's nothing that Connor McDavid can do or Leon Dreisaitl can do um, if they lose that series to not catch the blame. Because the thing about Connor that I think is really interesting is like when you watch him play, if you watch any of his highlights, the dude's just miserable, right? Like, he never looks like he's having fun. He's the most exciting player on the planet, and he is a grump every single time a camera cuts to him. He's just miserable. So I think that that body language coupled with the fact that he doesn't really play defense, but you don't really want to ask the best offensive player in the league to play defense, um, will, will tend to lead to a lot of people to, to say, well, if Connor would just buy into a defensive system and use his speed that is better than anyone else in the league on back checks, then maybe, just maybe, the Edmonton Oilers would be able to overcome Mike Smith's terrible goaltending. Oh, I love it. It's going to be the disappointment series of the first round, and I can't wait. Uh, but too bad the Kings aren't going to lose to anybody that's terrible. All right, he's Ryan Wallace. Uh, catch him on the VGK Insider Show. Also, pre-post and intermission uh, shows for Golden Knights games over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan, as always, we appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Ryan. All right, thanks, guys. And I'm going to ask you the same question. The L.A. Kings, after these after these five days, the L.A. Kings play Anaheim, Chicago, Anaheim, Seattle, Vancouver. Where are they losing? They could lose one to Anaheim and maybe Vancouver. But Vancouver won't be playing for anything still, on the final day well, of the season. The, what if they're playing to eliminate the Kings? Do they care enough? They will, No, they don't care about the Kings. So I'd much. say one to Anaheim if they're playing them two out of three. Um, they could lose one to Anaheim, two out of three. And like I said, maybe Vancouver. More so That's one to Anaheim, though, because two out of three Any- usually happens. Look what happened with the, the, the Knights in Vancouver, and you start playing yeah, you know, teams, and it's hard to keep beating teams. So I'll say one to Anaheim. So if they even if they lose that one game to Anaheim, and I'll even say let's lose, let, let's have them lose to Vancouver. <laughs> let's lose. As let's well. lose. <laughs> let's lose to Vancouver as well. That means the Golden Knights, after these three games, would have to win five of their final six. You're saying because if the, the you're saying if the Golden Knights get swept, 
I, I'm saying if if they don't make up any ground in the right. next three games, and they come back, they're two points back, and that's that's the Kings' remaining schedule, and they lose two of them, which might not even happen. But if they lose two of them, the Golden Knights have to go what five and one. To you're, end stick, the you're sticking to, to your story on this. Yeah, it's it's going to be unless the Kings are going to have to become the worst team in the NHL. To well, miss listening the to Ryan, they might be there right now. They might be. They might be. <laughs> but if if the Golden Knights have not closed the gap in the next five days, the only way they make the playoffs is if the Kings become the worst team in hockey. And I don't believe they're going to do that because they're going to play about five teams that are worse than them. Even though we don't think they're any good, they're going to play five teams. We that know are they're not even any good. Worse. Even worse than them, they're going to play. So I just, this is it. It's these five days, and if they right. catch them in these five days, the Golden Knights can go to the playoffs. That's your hot if they take. don't, the, the schedule is way too easy for the Kings to blow it. Because in all seriousness, the Kings are going to have to go, like, they're going to have to lose, like, three of those for the Golden Knights to catch them. And I just, I, I don't think that happens. Coming up next, we finish the show with something. You're locked in the press box. All right, Jared, help me out here if I've got this wrong. Damon and Q over on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, they did a, like, pickup basketball draft of everybody in the building. Yes, I believe building adjacent was also available. What the hell does building adjacent <laughs> mean? So the Sam Gordon. Adjacent building. Sam, oh, Gordon's Sam Gordon was available? Team. Yeah, Sam Gordon wound up on a team, which I think should be. That, I don't. That is not building adjacent. That's not like Pritch. Who will like like that's not like Heidi Fang where they'll host a show. That's just he's a guest. He's a guest on our show. Yeah, but all right. Uh, and then Grill and McMillan was also, and I'm like, those are not show adjacent. Those are guests on right. shows. But all right, all right. If you are going guest on shows route, Curtis Terry should have been the first overall. Exactly. Uh, so they kind of they kind of screwed that up. Okay. Um, so who do you know what the team split was exactly? As of right now, uh, it is... What are their trades? <laughs> no, well, I think everyone has reconsidered. I, Me and Ari have been bagged more than anyone, which, fair enough. But uh, I will say that it is still Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Ari, with, and... Uh, wow, I just totally... Oh, and... Um, Willie? No, no. Willie's got bum, a bum knee. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do with Willie? I'd bring in Adam Candy before I'd bring in Willie. Adam's uh, the ref. Oh, all right. So we're already setting things. Uh, Sam Gordon. on That's okay, well, Q's he, team. He helps them. Uh, and then oh, that's Q's team? Yeah. And Q then and the, Sam Gordon? Yeah. And then the three of us on yeah. DeMond's team with Grill and McMillan. DeMond sucks at this. Aside yeah, he's not me, good he's at picking teams. Overall pick. See, he's not very good at this. He, I agree, right. Jared. Like, if it's one-on-ones for all these people, Q, I think, is the number one seed. But if it's teams, we might have a chance. I, I don't think we win a lot of one-on-one battles. But I, in, I've seen Sam. So I don't think we win yeah. a lot of one, no, one-on-one we're battles. Not, <laughs> I, I, and, and Q, I think, is a really good player. Has anyone uh, ever successfully set a charge in a one-on-one game? That is the only way I beat Sam. Yeah. Well, Q did confirm to me that he probably had a lot to do with his son being a college player, and it wasn't uh, his mom because um, she didn't play. Well, I so, mean, what else is he going to say? True. Um, but I think as a team, uh, with the plays we would run and how we'd come together and like do practices, 
then we might have a chance. I would say that it would it it, it started out as Devon's team by about ten minutes into the first like if there is a practice, it, we would quickly become all right. So this is Tyler one, Tyler two, Tyler three. Why do I just keep why are, why is my only job to set screens, Tyler? Here's here's my genuine question for everybody in our building that is overestimating their own basketball skills. When is the last time you played basketball? To well, wait, like played, played, like played, played, or shot? No, not not just went out and shot by yourself. Just a pickup game. When's the last time you played a basketball? It can be one on one game of twenty one, like against somebody else. That was an actual basketball game. When um, was Obama in the White post, House? Post pandemic at the at the Agassiz Twenty Four Hour Fitness. Oh, look at you. Whenever because my guess is that the majority of people on the other team, Cofield, Adam Hill, uh, maybe not Sam Gordon. He's sort of a ringer that got thrown in there. But Q, they haven't played basketball in the last four months. They might have played basketball in the last year. I played basketball last week. I am running this entire game with the exception <laughs> of Sam Gordon. It's not even going to be close. If it's just Lotus Broadcasting, it's uh, not even going to be close. I just, I keep holding out on the Q man. If he listen, so he's one on one. He's naturally at, athletic. He's like Greg Luganus. At no, some because point I, in I do life, think uh, if you have the offspring in college, you probably taught him a lot. Listen, did you did you Q's, teach your son about weightlifting it? <laughs> That's a good point. Q's, <laughs> Q's basketball career peak is no doubt going to be higher than mine. But if you're telling me he hasn't played basketball in months and he's 20 years older than me, he doesn't have a shot. <laughs> this is all I'm here for. And I will agree that Ari and I will be the weak links on both teams. The difference is, is I'm a foot and a half taller than Ari. <laughs> So can we start bringing in ringers? Apparently, <laughs> if they're bringing we in Sam Cur Gordon, we, we got, got Curtis Terry. We got Curtis Pelton Terry. Bon, we have, as a team, selected Curtis, Curtis Terry, Terry in the in the in who should have been the first overall pick. We we're have, now into the fifth round of this, and right. he's our fifth round pick. We're LeBron, and we're telling our GM Demond yes. what to do. <laughs> except Curtis Terry is going to be a hell of a lot better than Russell Westbrook for us. It's going to be great. Enjoy the game.